I understand that without my agreement that Motorsport 101 have signed me up to do the introduction for today's episode of the podcast. This is wrong, and I am not introducing today's show talking about the Hungarian Grand Prix, Sebastian Vettel's retirement, Fernando Alonso's transfer to Aston Martin, and the constantly unfolding drama surrounding Oscar Piastri. I will not be doing the intro today. Huh? Oh. Oh, whoops. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Motorsport 101. Uh, safe to say, um, we've had some news this week. Just just a smidge. Just a smidge. In what could be... What, Red Bull's renewing with, for, with Honda for a couple years? Uh, oh... You sweet, sweet summer child, RJ. <laughs> Welcome to episode 384 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friend and neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And, um, oh God, what a week. What a week we've had. Like, thank, all I'm saying is, thank God we're recording this on Wednesday night. <laughs> we'd, have had, we'd have probably had to have sat down for an emergency podcast at one point or another, because that would have been wild because apparently now we're all under mclaren contracts who would afford it but um it's been a lot to say this week and uh this is gonna be i reckon possibly one of the longest f1 episodes we've done in quite a while there is a lot to tackle the the, the entire landscape of formula one has changed and that might actually not be the biggest story that's come out of the sport in the last 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sit down, you know, get the kettle on. We're going to be here a while. But uh, to get us through this unbelievable week of news, first and foremost, Mr. RJ O'Connell, who definitely didn't do that intro just now. That's that's right. I think one other thing that we have learned out of all this is that is uh, never trust any company that makes an announcement about anything ever. No. That's the point that we're at. Because uh, that's, yeah, because uh, what was it before the news that we'll get into that, that we were talking about, like, oh, just because there is no, just because there's no quote from the driver that is the centerpiece of this announcement does not mean that this is going to be another Alex Polo situation. And it turned out to be another Alex Polo situation! <laughs> that may or may not have been me on Twitter. Um, I thought... I, I shot my shot on this one. I genuinely thought there is no way this is happening. I thought, let me go with convention over the once-in-a-decade outlier. Fool me! That's the thing about once in a decade contractual disputes. You wait a while for one of them to come around, and then two, and then two of them come around at the same time. Goodness gracious me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had, to, I had to dangle my nuts on that one regarding that. And again, so much to talk about there where that's concerned. Also joining us, still trying to make sense of it all, and currently experiencing Groundhog Day for more Ferrari fuck-ups. It's, it's Cam Buckley. Good to see you, Cam. How you doing? Um, I live. That's, <laughs> that's about as much as I can say about this. Uh, I'm, I'm just happy to be signed with McLaren. I mean, I'm not... It's, it's not for anything specifically, but Zach Streaming? was giving out those... Uh, he was giving out those pre-contracts like they're candy, so I figured, why not ask? Uh, now, wait a minute. Hold on. I just signed with McLaren. 
I just signed Damn. an Alpine. <laughs> Damn, Dre didn't get the invite from Zach Brown. Guess you're the oh. odd one out, man. I, I, I'm Cinderella. Who will be my bell to the ball? Uh, just, oh, it's 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 Daniel sad Ricardo? time. Esteban, Esteban Ocon. Oh. I'll tell you who it won't be. Fernando Alonso. <laughs> Apparently, he's reporting from somewhere on a Greek island as we speak. I'm sure we'll get through to him over 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 our time on the podcast in some way, shape, or form. But my God, we have a lot to get through on this episode. We are going to be talking the Hungarian Grand Prix eventually. Uh, it's it's about three quarters of the way down our script. For understandable reasons, we'll be talking about Sebastian Vettel. We'll be talking about Fernando Alonso. The body was still warm upon the retirement when Fernando Alonso was announced to replace Sebastian Vettel, Aston Martin. And again, only the second biggest story of this week so far, because um, we'll be talking about Oscar Piastri and the fact that, according to him, he won't be driving for Alpine next year, despite the mother of all situations unfolding in front of him. No, do not ask me how we got to this point, but we'll try and figure it out from here. Let's shithouse an intro before we get into the, the meat of the discussion here about the places you can find us. You can find us on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 or on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD for me, at RJ O'Connell and at CBuckley917. Follow us on there. We're on Instagram. At, at Motorsport 101 Pod for sneak previews and uh, um, notifications when new content goes up on there. Um, and you can find all of that information and more on our website, Motorsport 101, including arguably the most unhinged blog post I've ever written. Uh, it's one of my, my favourites, actually, as well. It is called The Ballad of Oscar Piastri. If you want a running diary of how my brain was functioning as all this news regarding his future dropped, it's a good post for you. I may or may not have made a joke about basically Zach Brown being in bed with Gerard PK. It's it, it, it's a weird one, but you're just going to have to read it for the full context. Just just trust me on this one. If you really like it, you can back us financially on Patreon, of course. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101, and you can back us financially on there. Thank you very much for doing so. Also, I've got to mention as well, because um, I, I do promise I would do this. Shout out to Cartel. They actually backed us on Patreon today via email. So thanks, Cartel, if you're listening along. Thanks a lot, buddy. Much appreciated. So without further ado, shall we get into everything that wasn't the Hungarian Grand Prix first? Yeah, let's do that. I know this is the Hungarian Grand Prix episode but first let's work a little bit around the grand prix itself because i think you all know what we're here for and for once it's not the pit wall at scuderia ferrari being a meme for the second weekend in a row we'll get to that i promise (laughs) but it just to catch up on the things that have happened within the last week we're recording the third of august today would have been jules bianchi's 33rd birthday late last wednesday night Sebastian Vettel, four-time Formula One world champion, and until this point, the most social media adverse driver in the sport, signed up for Instagram. And as we were all counting along the number of followers <laughs> is accumulating Guilty. in real time, by the minute, by the hour, some of us kind of thinking, wait a minute, is this a move to signify that he's looking and retiring? And some of us didn't want to think about it, but the following morning... 
He announces his retirement via Instagram. He will retire at the end of the season. Good health willing Sebastian Vettel's final Grand Prix at Abu Dhabi will be the 300th of his career. And while it's unlikely he'll add to the rest of these numbers in the final months of his career, he currently has 53 Formula One Grand Prix wins, 57 pole positions, 122 podiums, and of course, a run of four consecutive world championships between 2010 and 2013. Now, Obviously, some of us need a minute to process this before switching gears to the inevitable next question, which some people immediately snapped upon, which was, who replaces Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin? Somebody's got to fill that seat. And we found out the answer on Monday, and it was quite the surprise. It wasn't Mick Schumacher. It wasn't Daniel Ricciardo. It was two-time Formula One world champion Fernando Alonso, who looked as certain as ever as if he would end his career with Alpine rejected a one-year deal with the team that he won both of his championships with many years and a couple of identity changes ago to sign a new two-year deal to stay in Formula One with Aston Martin. And uh, it was funny when uh, Otmar Safnauer said something to the effect that, you know, he's out in a boat on the Greek island somewhere. He can't, he's not answering his phone calls. And then, and then Karun Chanak ruins the magic by posting a picture of him at the karting track. <laughs> Gotta ruin the magic of all this. In reality, he was actually at home in Oviedo. So now Alonso's replaced Vettel at Aston Martin Quest that season. But now the question becomes... Who drives alongside Esteban Ocon and Alpine? Now, one name has been hovering around the transfer market window like a, a while is Oscar Piastri, who is Alpine F1 team's reserve driver. He is the 2021 Formula 2 champion. He is the 2020 Formula 3 champion. It was a surprise, a failure in the eyes of some, mm-hmm. that he wasn't on the grid this season. But it felt like it was just going to be a matter of time until he finally got off the bench and into an F1 seat. And Tuesday morning, Alpine made it official. They announced they were calling up Oscar Piastri to a full-time race seat beginning in 2023. Except Piastri and his manager, Mark Webber, have reportedly been talking with McLaren about the prospect of driving for their team, presumably alongside Lando Norris and in place of Daniel Ricciardo. And just an hour after Alpine made their announcement without any official statement for the driver they just signed, Piastri took the social media to categorically deny that he was driving for Alpine in 2023. We are now less than a month removed from the bombshell of IndyCar champion Alex Pillow's stunning rejection of a new deal at Chip Ganassi Racing and his planned move to McLaren that has culminated in a court case that is now going to the federal level, potentially. A once-in-a-generation contractual dispute. And it's happened again in Formula One! How did okay. we get to that? I have a headache. How, how did we get to this point? Am I high? How do we? Uh, but let's go back a bit. Let's backtrack a bit first because it all starts with Sebastian Vettel announcing his retirement. And I know, Dre, you have many thoughts on that and the legacy that he leaves behind. And it's a, it's a fantastic legacy that has so much to it. Um, I just want to say as well, for those who are fans of us, shout out to everyone, and I do mean everyone who read my piece on it 
the two careers of Sebastian Vettel. I do really, I read every single comment and every single tweet. I'm incredibly grateful. The fact that I apparently made a bunch of people cry over it is um, an honor and something I feel very guilty about. So um, (laughs) um, to anyone who read it, thank you. I do greatly appreciate it um, first and foremost, but it's, it's an incredible legacy and, and it's an incredible story more than anything else. I've, I've, I've said it from day one regarding his career, and I will say it again now. The sport was not ready for Sebastian Vettel's greatness. We were not prepared for it. This small-time kid out of a farm in Germany that came in and within two years of him being in Formula 1, he was challenging for a world championship. He was winning races. You know, he shocked the world when he won at Monza in 08 with that win in a tour in an a Toro Rosso that was quote coursing with Minardi DNA, you know, and that prime run he had from 2010 to 2013 is as good a four year streak as anything's ever seen in Formula One in my humble opinion. You know, thirty. I think it's something like thirty-six wins in that in that in that period. You know, two of the greatest seasons ever seen on record. 2011, 2013. had four world titles before he was twenty-six. Um, he was twenty-seven, I should say. And just he's an he, he's we were not ready for it because I I've been on the internet in some capacity talking about this man for over a decade, and some of the some of the messages, some of the hate mail. Some of the criticisms of this man and what he was doing to Formula One at the time was unfathomable. It, it, it was didn't make any sense. It was completely out of whack compared to what he was doing out there. And that's why I say the sport wasn't ready for it. But as, as it's like the second chapter of his career where he left and went to Ferrari and saw him compete against a even more dominant run from Lewis Hamilton and the rise of Mercedes. If it, It's actually kind of amazing how just the fact he stopped winning kind of made everybody realize just how fucking good he was beforehand. It's amazing how these things turn out. And if you'd have said to me 10 years ago that he would have left this sport as one of the most respected and universally liked drivers in modern history, and I said you're on narcotics. Like, it's an incredible story, and it's an incredible turnaround from the guy that had it all and was despised for doing so, purely for winning and having an, an, an apparently obnoxious finger point celebration to the guy who has become not only incredibly popular, but also a fantastic ambassador for Formula One, a guy who championed as an ally for the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020. He stood shoulder to shoulder with Lewis Hamilton. The kneeling before the Grand Prix, let's not forget, was his idea. What we saw on TV was his idea, alongside Lewis Hamilton and Romain Grosjean. He's championed himself as an ally for LGBT plus rights. The rainbow t-shirts in Hungary, the fact he was Whitney was running driver courses for women in Saudi Arabia who we all know 
has used sports washing to deny its horrible record on human rights, you know, pushing for diversity in difficult areas, auctioning helmets for charity for children in Africa, you know, even sitting down on question time in the UK and challenging politicians on climate change. The guy who at one point was screaming to bring back the V12 engine was out here championing climate change on question time against my country's own shitty fucking government. You, you, It's mind-blowing, the transformation that Sebastian Vettel has gone through in his career in the last 15 years. And I couldn't be prouder to be a fan of his. He is an unbelievably brilliant driver. I said it before, I think he's one of the five greatest drivers that's ever walked this earth. I think it's Hamilton, Fangio, Schumacher... Prost and him, in my humble opinion. And not only that, even more than that, he's become an even better human being. This sport will be worse off without him. This sport will be worse off when he's gone. And it's a shame it took being that spectacular on and off the track for people to realise that. But as a Vettel fan, I'm so glad people realised in the end. That's that, that. That's me. I, I can, you know. That, that's how I look at it. Anyway, I don't know what you guys think, but that's me. I'll I'll admit there have there have been times uh, during the battle run of four straight championships where I got fatigued. I I don't think I ever got to the extremes that some people got because, like, by the end of this run, you know, we were getting to the point of like we're openly booing our race winners, which is still a problem. And, you know, Sebastian Vettel did not come into the sport as mature and as insightful as he is now. I don't know when I don't know when that point in his life came. But, you know, I think we're all like very glad that it did and that we've seen this depth and this evolution of Sebastian Vettel like I'm so happy that he gets to walk away uh being loved and respected like this I'm so happy that this gets to be his lasting legacy and look you can say whatever you want about how he couldn't get the job done once he stopped having the best car all around like as time goes on especially with every passing week of Ferrari schadenfreude with two great young drivers themselves you start to realize that Sebastian Vettel was not all was not the problem at Scuderia Ferrari in the mid to late 2010s. Um, and well, yeah, the Aston Martin move didn't work out, but you know that such is such is life. Um, I th- yeah, the transformation of Vettel, you know. Obviously, there are going to be some people that'll be like, oh, you know, he's, he's sold out. He's, I don't think there was so much of a transformation. It's just a difference in the way people perceived him once he stopped, uh, well, whooping that ass for a solid four years straight. We don't like dominance in sports. We never have. No, we never have. And unfortunately, and I mean, what, what and I, 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 sorry to cut camp, just one second yeah. here. A lot of us, and I, I, I still stand by this, we're a predominantly British audience. We don't like the Germans. We never have. And we still have this wrapped up cultural obsession with making the Germans the bad guys. It's been 80 years since World War II and we're still doing this. I've said it before. If you ask Germany 
who their great sporting rivals are. They will say the Dutch or the Italians. They will never say England. It's a, it's a, this is a purely English self-fulfilling prophecy. It's terrible. Go, go on, Cam. Sorry, I had to get that out there. <sighs> and and to the same effect, you're hearing uh, all of the stories, even very early on in his career, of him having this, just this incredibly inquisitive mind when Pirelli became the tire supplier for Formula One in 2011, him flying out to the factory and learning the science behind the tires. Oh, yeah, he's um, wise beyond his ears. Learning science of just every aspect of the sport and learning about the people behind all of it. It seems like forever ago when two, when 2008 started and Vettel started the year a string of four straight retirements, you're thinking, this kid is far too wild to be a world champion. Mm. And then by 2013, he has four straight. Yeah, and and then in 2008, he wins in a car that was wearing the minority badge. No, only two years prior. Mm. You got you got a favorite Vettel moment before we move on, real quick. Mm. (sighs) Um, I have a couple. I oh gosh. Um, The one that really sticks out to me is Brazil 2012 doesn't finish on the podium only finishes sits, but to drive back from a first lap accident in torrential conditions to snatch the title away at the last second that that along with the third place at Abu Dhabi just a couple races prior to that really hammered home that like Vettel is not just a front runner. He ha- he has the capacity to dive down, to dig down deep when needed to, when everything's at stake to to win the biggest prizes in the sport. And say, let's not forget on, on two of those titles. Two of those yeah. four titles, he had to be as clutch as anyone ever has been in order to eke out those titles because through unreliability and through outside circumstance. He didn't have the best shot going into the race. Cam, tell me what's your favorite Sebastian Vettel moment. Oof. You know, this came during a time of peak Vettel fatigue. What about Singapore 2013? Singapore 2013 was Mm -hmm. one of the most ridiculous individual performances that I can think of. Like, at one point... I, I remember remember US US broadcast um, the the almost fear in Steve Match's voice as he saw those tires and like they look new to me. They bolted on those fresh tires and that final stint was a clinic on how to beat an entire sport black and blue. Yeah, For me won- though, it's not yeah. that. Hmm. Well. I would say Bahrain twenty eighteen. Oh, that's up there. So there's a very underrated one. Hung out to dry with one of the worst Ferrari strategies of that year in a year filled with them. And just eked out those tires, which were, in his own words, these tires were done. They were done. And brought it home just ahead of Bottas to seal the win. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that year kind of fell apart. But when you look at Ferrari since he walked away and, uh, well... Not much has changed in the red camp, has it? Yeah, like I was going to say, Singapore 2013 is right up there for me. Um, that was like 
like Camden even mentioned, it's not even the fact that he won by 36 seconds that day in a safety car affected race and absolutely crushed the field so hard that the sport pretty much all got in a circle and said, stop fucking booing this man. This is getting ridiculous. And then it never happened again. Well, like, you know why he had that extra set of tires? Mm-hmm. Because his first run in Q3 was so good, he didn't need to put a second one out there. That was just about position. to mention that. Yeah, it was just the fact that it, I called it, call it the walk-off pole position. He set one lap. Rocky on the radio gets on and asks him, you got any more in that? And he said, maybe a tenth. Parked the car, qualified on pole from his garage. I've never seen that before. Like, like that was ridiculous. It, it was just the the confidence, the arrogance, just the ability to comp- like at at that time at Red Bull, he was taking the piss. He was taking the piss out of the field, and there was nothing anybody could do to stop him. He had back to back Grand Slams that season. He went two races in a row where he was absolutely inch perfect. I've never seen anything like that. I think he's the only man in history to have back-to-back Grand Slams in Grand Prix history. It's That was the peak of Sebastian Vettel's powers. It was... Oh, I've got one. Go on. Uh, every lap ever run at the Indian Grand Prix circuit. <laughs> Undefeated around that circuit. He never lost. I think he was three for three over there in India. He was three for three, and then they, well, um, our friend and yours, tax issues, put pay to that track. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, in 2013, they really didn't run the race all that well uh, at Red Bull, and he just overrode it by a sheer pace. Yeah. I think he won by the better part of 30 seconds from, I want to say Nico. I want to say Nico Rosberg. I think it was Rosberg and Grosjean top three that day, I want to say. Um, oh, yeah, my right beloved, the E21. Oh, those are the days. But look, man, there's there's many. We could be here for another half hour talking about this man. And like I said, a, a remarkable driver, a remarkable ambassador for this sport. And what a journey he's been on over the last 15 years. Like I said, if, if, if he makes it to the end unscathed, it'll be his 300th start in his final race in Abu Dhabi. And uh, what a career it's been. And look, the man put that Aston Martin on the podium last year. Twice. Well, the second one didn't count in the end, but it did get to stand on the podium ceremonies twice. His car had no car. His car had no advantage on the field. That, that it's 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 like it was a fuel leak that caused it because he couldn't get the fuel sample. Like his car was that. not that car illegal. had no right. Yeah. That no cars painted green have any podium rights in the modern F one era. Mm-hmm. Dre, what was your favorite set moment? Because I have a feeling like I could guess a couple. Um, like you said, Brazil 2012 is up there. That was special. I was doing Gangnam style celebrating that yeah. third title. Seeing Michael Schumacher um, salute him was the first man to, to celebrate out of the car. My two favorite F1 drivers of all time was Trudy. We we, we watched that re- a couple of years ago. Back yeah, during lockdown, we did put our during watch party episodes. Yeah, and like yeah, that race ages like a the finest one. It's a wonderful race. It's a, it's an incredible race. It was so many stories. Monza two thousand eight. Monza two thousand eight. Mm. The upset. My favorite team. Yes, they changed their identity. Yes, they have a lot more money. But that was so cool to see. Help. Go back to the very beginning of the journey. 2007 United States 
filling in for Robert Kubica. He's 19 years old. Yeah. And he scores points. Yeah, points on debut. At the time, was the youngest point scorer in F1 history. He held that record to the little Kvyat beaten to it. Um, yeah, it was... I got uh, one thing, one I will actually bring up. Hungary 2015. Because you have to oh. remember the circumstances around that race. Oh, where... Got wrencher. We had... We had just lost Jules Bianchi. First uh, race back. Days prior. And we know that he, by all accounts, would have ended up in one of those cars. Probably should have ended up alongside him that year. Um, And he didn't get to. And the start of Gods got out to the front. And then, and for only really the second time, up to that point since Mercedes ascended to the top, were they just straight up beaten? Yeah. Uh, this is why I was going to mention a race from earlier that same season, Malaysia, and the fact that, you know, Vettel being able to two-stop and the Mercs had to three, and that was really the first time Mercs had been beaten on pure merit, on pace alone in a race since their era of dominance began. And just the, the shot in the arm it was. The F- Formula One needed that win. At Malaysia, and this is no disrespect to Lewis and Mercedes intended, but the buzz that Vettel had won just his figure was his third race at Ferrari, a second race at Ferrari, and the fact that well, yeah, people in the had first a bit of race, hope. yeah. Remember in in twenty fifteen because Vettel got stuck up behind one of the Williams in the first stint, and mm. the first race, Mercedes won by over 30 seconds on raw speed. We thought, oh, here we go again. It's going to be another year of two silver cars and everyone else. And well, that Malaysia for the most part, 2015 was our intro. Malaysia 2015 was our intro for years. Yeah. Mm. And while it did for the most part play out and going forward did, Vettel was just enough of a thorn in their side for all of 2015 to be give us just that little bit of excitement. And we loved the fact that he played off Merckx's own insecurity. He was out there mocking Hamilton. Maybe have more issues? Yeah. No? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, were you low again? <laughs> Could you two maybe crash so, uh, you know, I can go through? Vettel was that little <laughs> prick in the, on those, like, sitting on that third place chair at every press conference, sitting there like, hey guys, what's happening? You know? <laughs> like, he was a pest and we loved it. That was the that was the year that we all turned around on Sebastian because we loved the fact that he was the antagonist to Mercedes dominance and they couldn't stand it. They they hated it. He was such a pest and they, and there was nothing they could do about it. But yes, they, of course they would go on to win, but like I think that right there was the moment that the mood changing on Seb and led to what I said, what I think was the second half of his career becoming a liked, respected, just phenomenal racing driver. Singapore, uh, Singapore 2015 that year, Oof. only driver in the 143s and qualifying. That pole that was so sexy. Good lord. Um, mm. Mm. We could be Good here car, that's a 15. We could be here all day. I'm not going to go. It would be selfish to our listeners to go on for another half an hour um, on that because one. Because we know why you're here. Yep. It's it's the rest of this shit we need to get into. So, first up, fellas, fast forward to Monday morning. Out of nowhere, about 9am UK time, we get the clangor that Fernando Alonso has been signed on a two-year deal at Aston Martin. What did you guys make of that one? 
What is wrong um, with this man? I'm going back to bed. <laughs> that was me. That was me on Instagram. Literally. RJ's smile and optimism. Gone. <laughs> Look, I look, mean, I, I Alpine, I've already conceded that he's not winning another title. I, this this doesn't affect me at all. Honestly, this is a much better fit than what? Could you imagine going back one year ago and saying the best thing for Mick Schumacher to do is to stay at Haas and not go to Aston Martin? Well, because last year Aston Martin was hot trash too. Alpine are solid. They are big solid. They are improving, if anything. Yeah, I want to stay off the hard tires good. from now on, but you know. And yet, he goes to Aston Martin, Why? who stink. Aston Martin stink, but now that they don't have a world champion, they need another, and they came to him, and Alonso apparently was not taking no one-year stopgap deal. He wanted two years or no years. So let me, let me, ask, let me ask the class something. Hmm. Do we think that Vettel would have retired if he thought that next year's Aston Martin was going to be a big step up? No. Mm. So what the hell are they promising Fernando Alonso coming here? I think, I think with, with Alonso where I think with Alonso and and Stroll, this is going to be a really fun dynamic between the literal boss's son and the driver with the most acute case of number one itis that we've seen in, <laughs> in many, many years. The fight for Lawrence Stroll's affection is going to be incredible. I'll tell you this. They could, uh, they could, if they were smart enough, they could just pivot their entire brand identity to being just the most toxic team in Formula One. It doesn't matter whether they win or lose. They'd just be the antagonist. Hell, you could sign Rich Energy as a sponsor tomorrow. Don't don't you put that evil on them, RJ O'Connell. Don't you put that on us. Plus, Bill Story's not going to come in the paddock because he he doesn't want his shots. Oh, my God. That's the least surprising thing about the man. I was going to say, I mean, my general thoughts on this was... I think, yeah, I think Cam's spot on. I think Vettel bailed because he knew it was going to be at least another two years, and Vettel just didn't have that sort of time in him to, to stick around for that, and you know, with mediocrity. Because that's what this Aston, this Aston Martin team right now, I'd say at best, is the seventh best team on the grid, and I think it might actually pound for be pound are the that. worst team in the sport. Like, given what they've got, given their resources, and given the talent they've got, because I stand by this, Lance Stroll is nowhere near as bad as the internet thinks he is. You're like, you know, I've, like. Vet, Stroll. He just coasts off he's inertia. Just, That's his just, problem. He's, he's the easiest person to dunk on in the sport because of how he's in the sport. When like we've seen that, we only use pay driver as a yardstick to beat people we don't like. Precisely. And Stroll is fine. But, <laughs> and Lance Stroll is a mid to d. He's a mid to good driver who will occasionally give you a good performance but also has the safest seat in the sport and his dad's running the team and the team is horrible. Yeah. So the team is horrible given their budget. It's horrible given their resources. And like, look at other than the, the, you know, the, the funny year in 2020 when they showed up with the previous year's Merc and got pinged on it. So, you know, 
Mm. They've been in a downward trajectory for a long time. Yeah. And I, I can't believe Alonso is prepared to walk away from a good midfield team, arguably the best midfield team in the paddock, to arguably the worst midfield team in the paddock over one year of contract security. I find but that isn't baffling. That, isn't, that, isn't that the whole thing with Fernando Alonso is that he always makes his moves at the wrong at the right the right place at the wrong time? What if he goes to the but wrong this, place at the wrong time? This team hasn't been the right place. Like like they finished fourth in 2017, first year of the wide cars. Then they cratered the next year. The team literally died and was repurchased. Pretty much held station the next year, and then they copied the Mercedes. Should have finished third in the constructors, didn't because they got pinged for copying said Mercedes, and now they've cratered back to where they were. They're a bad team. They've been a bad team for a few years now. But it's it can now be Fernando's bad team. I mean, this car and this year was supposed to be the it was supposed to be their big break. They copied the Merc in 2020 and stuck with that for 2021 so they could focus on these regulations they Dude, focused we just on these had regulations. a whole par- carts pot we had a parts copying scandal with aston martin this year we, yeah we're have an ongoing one because they ditched their entire car because their initial their a spec car was a joke and their b spec car based on the car that is delivering ass whoopings galore on the field is just as bad if not worse I know we have the new factory coming in the next couple years. I know they have a whole new facility. And they've got all the resources in the world. And they're doing nothing. But if they've given him a two-year deal, that takes Fernando Alonso to his age 43 season. Is Fernando going to be there for the benefits of that Aston Martin revamp if they even happen? Like, all Aston I Martin... can do is cry because if he, <laughs> all he can do is laugh because if he doesn't, the whole guy's gonna cry. I've, look, the, the, I've already experienced the glory days. Everything else is just a bonus for him. Everything else for him is just like doing it because he wants to. And hey, you know, you know, nobody will ever argue that. Like, even at age forty three, when he's like barely struggling to get this car to Q one in a couple years time, everybody will still tell you that he's a pop, top five pound for pound driver. The the he has he has. Forge that reputation. The Alonso twenty-one. He could get 20 and owed by Lance Stroll and people would still say that about him. The, the, the Alonso grift from people on social media who think he's the greatest thing to happen to not just Formula 1 but the entire world like since sliced bread is some of the biggest brain worms I see on Formula 1 Twitter on a weekly basis. I respect Fernando. I think he's a borderline top 10 all-time driver. Maybe just outside. But people think he's genuinely like top three. And I think it's incredible that he's been able to earn this reputation because I think a lot of Spanish folks were drunk off the mid-2000s when their country had a sporting boom. But it's, 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 it's crazy how people like just swear by Fernando Alonso and this everything he does. This is the team that spent longer than anyone bar maybe Ferrari on this set of regulations, and they've produced... Argue, I would say the second worst car in the field because the only one that is consistently worse is probably the Williams. Yeah, that's probably fair. 
It's 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 not good. It's not good. Like honestly, there's a clear bottom four starting to stick out between them, Hass and Alpha Tauri in some capacity. Alpha Tauri had a Alpha Tauri had a full upgraded car and they were awful. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not great at the moment. Uh, right, the big one. Yesterday at the time of recording. Now, about eleven a.m. yesterday morning, Adam Cooper, that wonderful journo. And he's that peak <laughs> sarcasm. Put out an interesting statement that basically said that, you know, there was some sort of dispute legally between where Piastri could go between Alpine, who, according to them, has got some sort of mandatory clause where if Piastri is offered the 2023 race seat, he has to take it. Whereas there was clearly some sort of agreement or some sort of conversation between Mark Webber and Zach Brown at McLaren. And then at 7 p.m. UK time last night, Piastri denies and says straight up, he will not be driving for Alpine next year, despite only two hours earlier, Alpine confirming he was going to drive the car next year. A literal repeat of the Alex Pelot situation. Almost a carbon copy. Do you think... Alpine now regrets uh, loaning him to McLaren as a potential driver if needed because that was announced back in March. Alpine were willing to let Piastri drive for them in case either Norris or Ricardo were unable to compete. And let's not forget, going into the season, we thought Daniel Ricardo Daniel Ricardo missed some uh, missed some test days due to COVID. Mm. He, he was t- and he was it was looking guy. like it, yeah, yeah. So there was a possibility that Oscar Piastri could have already made his debut with McLaren this year. How do you, how do you, th- do you think they want to do over on that? Do you think they want to do over on having Oscar Piastri, Christian Lonegard, and Joe Guan Yu all under the same roof? And now none of them are going to be driving for their F1 team. I, I, I don't understand it, RJ. Look, here's the thing, right? You're right. Alpine have had a horrible reputation over the last decade, going back to guys like Jack Aitken and Artem Markolov as, as guys who could have raced in F1 under their banner under certain circumstances. The best prospect that out of the modern Alpine Academy that could have made it is no longer with us, and that's Antoine Hubert. Quite right. And we miss him so, of course. But like, even so, they had a reputation for years of not promoting their juniors. And then the perfect situation comes up. Fernando Alonso bolts, saves you a ton of money. You know, you've clearly got a lot of faith in Oscar Piastri. And Piastri is a stud talent by all accounts. And Piastri's staring at a top four seat right now. And he's like, no, give me McLaren instead. What? (laughs) Who are are a close fifth. But they are definitely not a cut above because McLaren seems to have a poverty weekend one weekend and then a stocks weekend the next. Like, they were only saved in Hungary from Alpine using the hard tires, which we'll, we'll get into the details of that later. Like, like, does Zach Brown just every prospective driver that they could possibly sign into Daniel Ricciardo's seat, is he giving all of them a pre-contract? Just to trigger a legal dispute with any team that might activate a contract clause with one of those drivers? I don't get I it. I think 
this is like the clearest evidence yet that Daniel Ricardo. Daniel Ricardo's gone. Daniel Ricardo wants to be in Formula One. Zach Brown does not want Daniel Ricardo to be a McLaren Formula One driver next year if he can help it. Yeah. He shopped his seat to anyone who will listen. It is he now signed that seat to anyone who will listen. It is now looking likely that Daniel Ricardo, who famously walked away from a $25 million a year deal at Alpine, could get traded back to Alpine. Ah, but Cyril's not there, so maybe this time it'll work out. You know, eighth year of the five-year plan, I'm sure it's going to work out great. 50 years later, and the five-year plan has still not come to fruition. I don't have any doubts that Oscar Piastri is that good because, you know, not every great single-seater junior formula prospect pans out, but I will say this. There are only two other people that won the Formula 3 and Formula 2 championships in back-to-back years as rookies. One of them is Charles Leclerc, and we all know that his talent's not the problem this year. The other is George Russell, and we all know his talent is not the problem, Mercedes. Hell, he's even outscoring Lewis Hamilton at times. Yeah, I, 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 all I'm saying is I sincerely hope that Mark Webber is telling his young driver the right things because I honestly don't understand why he's made life more difficult for himself than it needs to be. Like Alpine is right there, and you want to go to McLaren instead, where you've got to compete against Lando Norris and have your team boss be, at this point, borderline con artist Zach Brown. Who has... Like, actively tampering with multiple sports. Like, my, my man is not running a racing team. He's running a harem with racing drivers in it. <laughs> he has half a dozen dudes under lock and key right now. He had Pado Award, Alex Polo, and Colton Hurst. Manisha Kaltenborn's got nothing on this dude. He's got, like, six drivers signed to one seat. I don't, I don't, I don't, Manisha Kaltenborn out of the sport with guns and knives for this shit. Yeah. And and like and the thing is, the key thing to keep in mind with all of this, it Daniel Ricardo is the one who has the option to activate and leave. Unless McLaren buy him out, they can't just kick him. No, it's but now this is it's, the, it's this is be the clearest evidence yet. This is the clearest evidence yet that if he won't leave, they will push him. They will buy him out. I, I mentioned straight up in the Ballad of Oscar Piastri on the website, it is like literally Gerard Piquet is in bed with his new girlfriend while you've come home from work, and he's going to try and basically slut Shane Daniel into leaving the team. He's going to make... He's, he's like Because, look, the IndyCar situation was one thing. At least at that point... You could say, well, okay, it's still a bit of a punt to move an IndyCar driver over into an F1 seat because it's just not happened in recent times. This, this is blatant. This is, I'm fucking with the bedroom lights who Let's see who he's got posted for this seat, right? He's got Daniel Ricciardo already there. Aforementioned, he would be the half, he would have to be the one who leaves or McLaren has to buy him out of the whole contract. One, Alex Pillow. Two, Colton Herta. Three. That's not happening. The super license points aren't happening. That that ain't happening. But that's more happening not because of circumstances. That's something outside of Zach's control. Because Zach gave him a test. Uh, Pato Award. There's only one seat available, guys. 
yeah, on, on the most basic of levels, three into one doesn't go. And you know it's not a good sign. And now we've got Piastri. And, that, and, and it's not, you know it's not a good sign when Pado Award is actively breaking out popcorn emojis, saying, quote, Alexa, play Deja Vu. Like, because um, <laughs> all of this time with Felix, Felix Rosenquist doesn't even know where in the McLaren for family he's going to be racing next year, and even he's got stuff to say. My man Pedro was on was on Instagram in his car playing Exile by Taylor Swift in the background. <laughs> <laughs> he he called Alex Pelot a bullshitter in the Associated Press last week on the record regarding Alex Pelot, who could be his future teammate. What? <laughs> no, because it's not about being future teammates. It's about getting that F1 seat. If I can't have it, no one can. <laughs> exactly. This is nonsense. Zach Brown, congratulations. You have leapfrogged. You have hit the fadeaway J over James Glickenhouse for this year's M101 Golden Cock Award. More on that later in the year. Trust me, we might we might have a surprise brewing for that one. Uh, stay tuned later on in the year for that one. Catch we, fire ball game. Uh, we, uh, we, McLaren McLaren boss Zach Brown is is a menace, but United Autosports Zach Brown would never let anything like this happen. A word? No, no. United Autosports Zach Brown would just let all of his drivers who aren't uh, Lando and Fernando Alonso get abused on social media. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. What? I, you know, at this point, and in all of this, all of this, right? So sorry to cut you, RJ. All of this to drive a mediocre SpongeBob controlled by plankton voice, mediocre clarinet player, mediocre McLaren. Mediocre? It's wild. It is absolutely wild it's even gotten to this point, but here we are. I mean, again, we'll keep you posted in future shows as to how this plays out, because, hey, like, we'll see if Oscar Piastri wants to genuinely... I hope not. Like, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't I'm either. Zach I'm, t- Brown. I'm tired. We're going to have to tie this loose end up at some point. I mean, you know it's bad when football clubs like Borussia Dortmund are copying Oscar Piastri's announcement that he wasn't going to an F1 team as a meme. Alex Albon. Alex Albon, who did, in fact, sign with Williams on a multi-year deal. Go get your money, Albon. Good to Good see you. Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund on his announcement on his not Twitter. only did Oscar Piastri Oscar like Alex the tweet. Tweet, he replied to it and said hey good job that's great not only is McLaren is bringing multiple motorsport disciplines into disrepute is it Harim Zach or Brown is, is a Harim maker. Harim? I am not. I am not making this up. Okay, <laughs> I, this is, I don't know. I heard, I heard. I heard both different versions during Tiger King. I'm, I'm not yeah, sure which one's the right one it. either. Let's talk but, about uh, the gift that should keeps we talk about this race? Giving <laughs> Ferrari Schadenfreude. Do we have to? So Max Verstappen absolutely dominated the Hungarian Grand Prix, but you wouldn't know it if you just walked away after qualifying after he had an issue with the power unit, which. Gordon team principal Christian Horner, Rebels team principal, he said it was three laps away from a catastrophic failure if it had gone to the grid like that. But Verstappen did start the race from 10th, 
and he went on to win, despite the fact that he spun right in front of Charles Leclerc after he passed Leclerc for the lead of the race, only to then spin and then drive around him again. Yet again, Red Bull lets he gets their race perfectly and took advantage of yet more questionable Ferrari strategy. Ferrari st- turned second and third in qualifying behind first-time pole sitter George Russell into fourth and sits at the end of the race, the highlight of which was in the second pit stop for Leclerc, knowing that the pace of the hard compound tires were abysmal because Alpine just tried it and aborted that strategy. Ferrari put their lead driver on the hard compound tires anyway. And Charles Leclerc, who very well could have won this race, finished in sits behind Carlos Sainz, behind both Mercedes, behind both Red Bulls. That's the lasting image of Scuderia Ferrari going into the... It's wild. Salesforce released the data saying that people love this never-ending, bountiful buffet of comedy. What do you make of this? God. Cam, she's all yours. Um, <laughs> well, um, you see, in my section of the script that I wrote, uh, I just bypass entirely. I mean, I mean, regarding Ferrari's issues, it was a day ending and why. Uh, moving on. Max Verstappen blew his first lap in, qual- in Q3, had that PU failure on his second, leaving him 10th on the grid, had an overheating clutch that was causing him issues and costing performance all race, and topped it all off with doing a 360 in the car on his final stint right after passing Charles. So what did he do? He won the race by over almost eight seconds. Destruction. Ridiculous, imperious, morale-shattering, and I rate that a are-you-fucking-kidding-me-out-of-ten drive. Destruction. He had no business winning that race, but then he goes and wins. None. There was no safety car. No, there was nothing to bunch the pack up. He was. It came a little bit at the end, but you know, we it wasn't really a factor. It's 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 ridiculous. He's he's ridiculous. He's the best racing driver on the planet. I don't see how anybody could argue this at this point. He has an 80-point lead going into the summer break. He could take the next three races off. Charles could get maximum Remind points, me, what win was, uh, and pass all three over of them, Charles and he wouldn't after have the a Australian in the world. Oh, no, he didn't leave because Charles Leclerc, because Charles Leclerc had a 46-point lead over George Russell. Negative 46. After three races. Oh my god. 46 point deficit has turned into an 80 point lead. Um, To circle back, I will touch on it. Uh, First of all, Ferrari, this is deeper than it actually looks. Because Ferrari didn't lose this in the race. They lost this in on Friday. Because they did no running on the hard tire. The hard tire, people couldn't switch it on on Friday when the track was 20 degrees Celsius hotter than on race day. It was 47 degree temperature on Friday in free practice, 27 degrees in the race. They had 
multiple examples. Alpine destroyed their own race fitting the hard tires. Backmarkers had no pace on the hard tire. You couldn't get it going. And when you did get it up to temperature, you'd slide around so much from the lack of grip anyway that it wasn't any more durable than the medium. And Charles, Charles told them, he told them that the medium was fine to keep going for a few more laps to extend that middle stint. And they were so scared of Verstappen. That's what Ferrari is right now. They, they, they operate out of fear. They are, a, they are a team that operates scared of their opposition. Imagine saying that 20 years ago. Ferrari has a culture of fear against their opponents. They were so scared of losing track position when Max triggered the undercut. They threw him on hards. And it destroyed Leclerc's race. It's, it's it's alarming. It's 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 well. It's the expectation. Here's the thing: in 2018, when Ferrari melted down, it was every three or four races that we were seeing mm. stuff like this. This is every race now. It is to become the expectation that oh well, Ferrari will fuck it up somehow. When I was joking about being Pastor Dre after this race, the amount of people that were sending me messages along the lines of, can we get one more Hamilton win? Do you think Hamilton's got a chance of second in the championship? Do you think Merckx can beat Ferrari for second overall? I shouldn't be having to have plausible arguments for these questions, but now they do because like Ferrari has fumbled this bag this season so badly, Merckx can sniff second. It's not unthinkable. Mercedes are fighting them. For second in the world constructors with a car that is on average still about 0.4 of a second a lap off. I mean, look at in qualifying. I was, I was so happy for that. Signs botched so a second sector. George Russell got pole for this race. We have no purple sectors. I was happy about it because my partner is a big George with Russell. With no purple sectors. Babe, George Russell got pole position. And I was bummed out that I couldn't tell her. Babe, George Russell won from pole position, a track where typically if you start from the front row, you're guaranteed to win the race. That's the other thing about this Hungarian Grand Prix. You could race. You could race. You could follow. Um, That's the thing that really just... If you want a visual of how Ferrari's season has gone versus Verstappen, Verstappen catches him within four laps of bolting the mediums on, drives around him like Leclerc's got got four flat tires. Spins the car, and it took him like another three laps, and they just drove him around. Any Sullivan trick? It's like the 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 joke on social media after the race was that Verstappen spun to check if they really put hards on on Leclerc's car. It's like, damn, those were hard tires. Hilarious seeing Verstappen, Hamilton, and Russell. All in the media center, like they put, or they put the Ferrari. <laughs> all laughing at them, dude. Ferrari are we even within the sport? The laughing the, it's, stocks. It's the, of the F1 grid. press conference equivalent of man. They're cooking you in the quote retweets. <laughs> they're beating your ass. It's the, it's the, the F1 pre- equivalent of the Toronto Maple Leafs losing a game to emergency backup goalie David Ayers before COVID shut everything down. Oh lord. Ferrari lost to a Zamboni driver. That might be less humiliating at this point. Jeez. It is humiliating. 
This team is getting humiliated yeah. on an international what? Joel scale. Embiid is roasting this team on Twitter. <laughs> Noted expert on losing Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, whose career has been a perpetual disappointment, is finding ways to roast Ferrari on Twitter. Like, my man, my man's going to be sitting at home thinking, you know, I pay for Philadelphia, shit sucks, but at least I'm not Ferrari. Like, whatever, Ryanair and Spec Savers are all dunking on Ferrari. Joel Embiid is dunking on Ferrari. Shit is bad, folks. Like, like this is the worst thing to happen to Ferrari and F1's new mainstream popularity boom is now that people have, more people than ever have realized how shit they can be. Like, it's, it, that, that. For what they, for the car they have produced. To be in a fight with Mercedes and for second in the constructors is an indictment on the entire team. Don't get us wrong. Like, we all love throwing our shots in Bonato. But that's deeper than him. Although, really, I don't see how Bonato's position is tenable. No, because the thing is... Because the thing is, is that it's like they've gone... This was touched on on another podcast... It's like they've gone so far away from the Ferrari blame culture where they would just fire the guy in charge, slot someone new in, rinse and repeat. Now they just have no accountability. Instead, it's like, now it's, instead, it's, you can acknowledge problems without throwing people under the bus. Instead, Bonato's trying to blame the car. And don't get me wrong, like, Sainz's race was not much better going medium, medium, soft because the car was just... It's like they set the car up for Friday and then they just didn't consider that the track might cool off. When we knew going in that that was the case going for the next two days. Ridiculous. But to blame the car for the... the, To blame the performance of the car for the situation that they're in is just... It's incredible just... It's incredible detachment from reality is what it is. It's just being detached from reality. You're, 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 you, you, Ferrari said with their whole chest, oh, well, we had more data on the hard. From what? They didn't run it this weekend. They didn't run it until they bolted it on Leclerc's car. When Alpine had already self-destructed as a result of fitting the Ridiculous. hard. Alpine was the perfect guinea pig for them not to run that tire. And they did it anyway. Just re- It's like what King said a long time ago. When for, I think it was Russia 2019 that he mentioned. When, when Ferrari tried to engineer their cars back into place and threw away the win. Because Vettel wouldn't listen to a team order to drop behind a guy who he was faster than. Oh, God, don't remind Remember me. that one? Friggin', when Ferrari gets into a situation, it's like, it's like they, they, it's not that they can't adapt. It's that they'll stomp their feet and refuse to adapt and then blame something else. I don't want And Red Bull is laughing all the way to the bank. Max Verstappen doesn't have to win another race this year. But he's got more. He might even break the single season wins record. He's if he keeps up at his current pace, he will yeah. break it in Abu Dhabi. He's already at eight. He's he's eight with he's, like, he's he won from ten. He's at eight at with nine rounds to go. He's got he's he's, he's got a shot. He's he won from tenth. He won from tenth 
with no reliability issues for anyone ahead of him. On a track that you traditionally can't. Even Jensen Button's insane. Even Jensen Button's first win here in 2006. There was mechanical issues for the main protagonist of this race. Verstappen just out drove and out strategized everyone. He and uh, he and Red Bull. Absolutely crazy stuff here, folks. Right, dude. Enough. Yeah. Uh, 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 we got to wind Cam's neck back in. We got to wind it down. We got to wind it down. I'm sick of I, I'm sick of well, talking so, about so this every week. So Cam, you've got four off. Don't worry, okay. Well, I promise. You, like, take a nap, okay. We'll be fine. I promise you, we'll get through this. We'll get. If, it. If, 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 we'll, uh, we got to get to something but, more serious than this because um, Formula yeah. One did debut a brand new trackside and online campaign called Drive It Out. Uh, it is directed at those who harass others and at races on social media. The problem of abuse at events was highlighted at the Austrian Grand Prix, where several fans reported suffering misogynistic, homophobic, and racist insults in the crowd. So this Drive It Out series has released a video promoting the initiative featuring all 20 of its drivers, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali and FIA President Mohammed Ben Soliam. F1 said the video is intended to, quote, recognize that while passion and competition is a very important part of our sport, it can go too far, resulting in fans, journalists, presenters, and drivers receiving abuse both verbally and online. Um, the campaign has already taken some criticism by manias being largely ineffective, but, um, I want to know what y'all think of this because I will say this, it is a little more pointed than the re-races one campaign in 2020, which felt in hindsight, more like a catch-all uh, vague enough to cover a lot of things, but too vague to where it really. We hate it. Was yeah. we hate bad things? Um, F1 says they intend to speak with all race promoters about the need to have firm deterrence against abuse and plans in place to tackle any that arises. Online, F1 and teams will participate in a coordinated response to abusive messages. Teams will work together to block and report anyone who targets them with discriminatory language. And the sport also intends press social media platforms to take greater action against those who spread abuse. This is from the uh, racefans.net report uh, covering the launch of the program on July the 30th. Dre, I know you've got your thoughts about this because this is something that we've talked about. This has led into a couple of our shows. Mm. And now it seems like F1 is starting to get the ball rolling on doing something concrete about this. Yeah, um, look, F1's not, F1's not doing a bad job here. I know, you're shocked. You you thought, you thought I was going to dunk on them, didn't you? Um, no, look, I feel like they got the approach the wrong way around because a lot of what they've done was already out there. People just didn't bother reading it. Unfortunately, there, there, was, a, there was a report written by Andrew Benson of the BBC literally after... Austria, within days after Austria, saying that the sport was going to immediately put in an SOS hotline, and then we're going to add more security to key grandstands at Grand Prix weekends. But nobody read the report. So when this video came out, people were probably more cynical than they probably should be, because a lot of them just straight up did not know that the sport has already been proactive in taking action against what's happened. So it's not entirely the sport's fault. 
because unfortunately us as a audience can be very loud, but sometimes misdirectioned on how these things play out on social media. I mean, can you blame us? I mean, a lot of us are all just completely alienated with the powers of be and anything in our lives to do anything to help us out in any meaningful way. Absolutely. And look, I get the cynicism. Like it's valid in many, many facets of life. I'm not, I'm not. You listen to us. We can yeah. be very damn bleak. It's, and sometimes the point is just like, I don't want to be this bleak. Yeah. And look, they they are taking steps in the right direction. What they've done so far is objectively good. And I will praise them for that because they've acted quickly. Um, and they are they seem to genuinely give a shit about this. This yeah. is good stuff in like, in like what they're doing here is what they should be doing. It's and it's quick, it's effective, and it's simple. I didn't like, like, this is not entirely Formula One's fault. Unfortunately, there was some nasty reports that came out of Hungary about some of their security getting out of hand. Um, people being manhandled, photographers being hit, um, which is unfortunate. And again, Hungary, again, needs to needs to be hiring the right people as track promoters. And that's, that's predominantly on them, not F1. F1 can only tell them to do so much. I mean, yeah, they, they should be threatening their Grand Prix. But it's up to the promoters ultimately to promote the right people at their Grand Prix facilities whenever they're hosting an event. Um, the the issue I have is, and this is again, I need to stress, this is not an F one problem exclusively. This is a societal problem. Yeah. In that, yeah, it's nice and all that they're telling people on Twitter to go abuse hate and you know, also not abuse hate, sorry, but to report hate. As it comes through, and yeah, like you're, like they're absolutely right to do that, and that's only a good thing. Again, but this is not an effort. This is something that social media needs to step up and do. This is this is their problem, and unfortunately, as I've experienced personally and through other people on numerous occasions, the sport is not doing what it should be doing. Social media, I should say, is their reporting is not fit for purpose. Yeah, It's a lottery if people get banned for being abusive on that platform. Like what, like when, what is like the one and like the one solution that anybody like that, like thinks they have a hot idea is just like, well, just make everybody go by Just don't let anybody use a pseudonym online. That'll solve the whole problem. (sighs) This is it. Like, there are certain elements of this that there is that the sport can do nothing about. Like, yeah, you can ban someone off a platform, sure. They'll just come back with a different email and start again. Like, that person is back on the platform within minutes of their abuse. You know, Instagram has actually done a better job of this by having that function where when you report something out, says, block this person and any other accounts they may create where you're now banning via email. Even that would be a step in the right direction. Right? But Twitter is the most predominant social media site that people use these days, and they are so far behind when it comes to how their website is managed oh, yeah. and maintained. And none and... of us have TikToks, at least not that we know of, so we, we can't. Well, fortunately, we're, we're not TikTok experts. If you are a TikTok expert, please let us know. But as far as I'm concerned... It's uh, what the sport is doing is admirable, uh, and I and I want to praise them for that at least. But the social media problem is one that nobody 
except Twitter themselves can solve, and they are showing no intention of doing that. It reminds me a lot of that very infamous Michael Jordan quote where he goes, well, Republicans buy sneakers too. And that's what it feels like dealing with Twitter sometimes, because the ad revenue all counts the same. Whether you're an altruistic person, whether you're a good person or a dickhead, it all counts the same. And that's the problem. I got nothing to add to that, really. Uh, Pretty much covered it all. Yeah, this is... Yeah. And, I mean, in any case, uh, I'm going to look at it the same way I look at most of the other F1 initiatives, and that uh, when we see that concrete change born out in real life, it'll be great. But until then, it's just another uh, white text on black background statement. Yeah. And, and again, look, it's fair to be cynical over F1 when it comes to this because, yeah, we've been let down by them in other areas and other campaigns that they've had in the past. And, yeah, like, I'm glad that they've at least taken some immediate action. We have to obviously keep tabs on this in the future and see how things go. But, Ultimately, as I said in my Hungarian GP report on the website, F1 is not equipped to deal with abuse. I said this after the British Grand Prix last year. They are not equipped to deal with it. And even if they were, the problem runs far deeper than that. And that is where the problems start for us more than anything else. Right. Formula One is now on a summer break. It is off for a month. We'll be back. Could have fooled us. Yeah. This is day three of the silly season. And we've already had a legal contract dispute. A 41-year-old F1 driver mocking his boss on Instagram. And Alex Albon signing a new deal at Williams. And we're three days into the summer break. It's amazing how this shit turns out. Let me tell you. But uh, with a little luck, hopefully nothing else too chaotic happens. If not, if, if that does happen, we'll be here to report on it, of course. But Formula One will be back at the end of the month uh, for the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa-Francorchamps. It could be the final Belgian Grand Prix we have for some time, which will be pretty sad. But uh, hopefully not. We'll talk about that uh, later on. Next episode, IndyCar uh, at the Gallagher Grand Prix back at Indianapolis. And, uh, oh boy, uh, we've a certain someone returned to the winner's circle. A guy, another guy that's caused the team blow up, and uh, turns out his win may not have carried the full amount of points available. Funny how that one turns out. You know where you can find us on social media at, at Harrison One Hundred One HD, at RJ O'Connell, at C Buckley Nine One Seven, at Motorsport Underscore One Hundred One, YouTube Motorsport One Hundred One, Facebook Motorsport One Hundred One, Instagram Motorsport One Hundred One Pod website. Over 3,000 words on the Hungarian Grand Prix, the Drive It Out campaign. Everything we've talked about over the last 75 minutes is on there. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, and if you really like us, back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Thank you all very much for listening in. We'll see you back at the Belgian Grand Prix. Until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. BMW Team WRT. That, that... (laughs)
VMWRT. That feel that that has disgusting mouthfeel for anybody that knows. <laughs> I just wanted to get an excuse to say mouthfeel on this podcast. 